Welcome to The King's Table, a podcast out of King's Hill Church in Boston, where we seek to elevate the Bible over opinion, answering the questions you have. I'm your host, Jonathan Mosley. Today, we have with us a special guest, Monique Dusan. She is the founder of the Center for Biblical Unity, a contributor to the book Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth, and a creator of a new small group curriculum, Reconcile. Today, we are talking about the worldview of critical race theory, true biblical justice, and the nature of the church as family. Enjoy. Monique, it is so great to have you on the podcast today. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, hey, I, I have heard you share before that you were a subscriber to critical race theory. And maybe for our listeners, I would love for you, even, for you to even explain what critical race theory is, but, but also I would love for you to describe your journey as someone who believed in this worldview, but now someone who's speaking out against it and bringing gospel truth into this conversation. Yes, well, I am Monique Dusan. I'm a native of LA. I grew up um, first 15, 16 years in South Central Los Angeles and then moved to a suburb of LA, still um, lower socioeconomic background. But I've been in LA the majority of my life aside for for a um, small stint that I spent in South Africa as a missionary. I was there for four and a half years and worked with kids there. But I have a background in social service and when you said that I was a subscriber to the worldview of critical race theory, I honestly think that that's just, it was the worldview that I grew up with. And so critical race theory truly is an analytical, when, when you look back at it, at its inception, it was created to be an analytical tool or an analytical framework by which people could look at the, the connection between like race, racism justice, law, like some of the issues that were happening in America regarding race. It started um, as an offshoot of critical legal studies with Derek Bell. Kimberly Crenshaw took the concepts of critical legal studies after um, like looking at some of the issues coming out of the civil rights era and what was happening there among people of color in um, like contrast to what was happening with whites, who was holding power, what was going on in law. She, Kimberly Crenshaw, we get to like 1986, 87, 88, we're at the end of the 80s, and she develops, along with others, um, some contributions from Derek Bell, Richard Delgado, there's um, Mari Matsuda, I believe, there's, there's a few people who contribute to critical race theory, and just looking at the, the interactions of law, racism, um, power dynamics in the United States, and so from there, this framework or analytical tool to take a peek into society, a critical look into society was birthed. Now, I, I believe that when people say, well, you know, critical race theory is just a, an analytical tool, I say, yes, you know, it is. And I can also look at Richard Delgado, who, as one of the, the founding contributors, also calls it a movement meant to transform the relationship between race, racism, um, and power. And so this movement, it, this, this critical race theory is a movement. It does have a, a reason for which it was created. Now I can look at it kind of like I look at a stove and say, or a gun, actually, you know, these are two probably, I, I think good examples, you know, say, Hey, look, look at the stove. It's just a stove or, Hey, look at the gun. It's just the gun. And those things are true. 
a stove is a stove, a gun is a gun. But if not known or if it's not known as to what these things are meant to do and the dangers that can come behind them when they're not handled properly, these things can be dangerous. And so part of what I'm seeing with critical race theory is the, the, the fact that it's not just an analytical tool. It actually has an, um, a purpose to it. And the purpose, according to Richard Delgado, is to move and transform relationships to um, between power dynamics and things like that. It's meant to move and transform society. I uh, thank you for helping just our listeners. If they if they're, not, if they're not familiar with that term, to help them understand what it actually is, it, it, it's it's a tool, and yet it can be a worldview. And and uh, you know, gone through your curriculum, which we're going to get a chance to talk about today. But the, the social justice movement, yeah, you know, I think we would say it truly is a worldview, but it's a worldview that is works based. You earn righteousness. Uh, from culture, according to, and you say, quote unquote, doing the work. You know, so if you could just unpack what's the work that this worldview is ad- advocating for, and why is this so counter, in your words, to the gospel? Yes. So I think in being charitable to people who may uphold the, like the framework of critical race theory, you are 100, I, I call it usually like at the beginning of framework, you are 100% spot on in calling it a worldview. It is a lens by which we see the world. When I upheld critical race theory, I say it was something that I grew up with because it was just common conversation on the street. It was white people who just think they can do black people any kind of way. Well, according to critical race theory, that's that racism is just endemic. It's everywhere. It's always present. Um, That racism really isn't going to go anywhere until it benefit white people. Like if if you're white, why would you choose to not be racist if you think you can get away with racism? Well, that's interest convergence. There's tenets that were talked about on the street that were not associated with this analytical tool, but it was a worldview. It was a way that people just saw the world, the lenses that they wore. And so when we call it a worldview, it is the framework that people are generally just assuming the world by. They're running off of these basic assumptions. Now, when when I say that it is a works-based worldview, I call it a works-based worldview because there's a lot of work that has to go into um, in, into re- redeeming society in, in a certain way that is um, outside of Christianity, outside of our need for Jesus Christ. So when we look at critical race theory, what are some of the, the fundamental problems of a society? Well, the fundamental problems of our society would be racism. It would be whiteness. There are um, like white privilege, systemic injustice. There's, there's a lot of things that, that I think are put forward as these fundamental problems. And then the way that we get rid of these fundamental problems or we redeem our society is through the works of anti-racism. It's through the works of repenting from, from whiteness. It's through the works of divesting yourself of whiteness, of legislation, you know, all of these things. And I can look and say, well, you know, that might make some parts of society, okay? But in the long run, sin is still going to be sin. We have to understand the concept or the biblical understanding of sin 
racism is not our fundamental problem. Racism is not America's original sin. America's original sin is the fact that she was founded by sinful humans. America's original problem or original sin is sin itself, Mm -hmm. which goes back to the garden. And so we have to be able to understand like, the, like the concept of, of Ibram Kendi anti-racism, the fact that, or his idea that you must always be working to be anti-racist in order for us to basically get to a racial utopia or an equitable utopia. That's not reality because the scriptures say that the heart is deceitfully wicked mm. and it will be deceitfully wicked as long as we have humans on earth. And so, you know, the idea that I can create something um, some form of utopia, this side of heaven, where we will always have sin and transgression, mm-hmm. I think is, is a skewed version of, of the Christian reality. Yeah. I, I want to highlight your curriculum reconciled and, and what gave birth to this curriculum, but I, I want to put a, I want to kind of read a quote in the curriculum. I think it's really good. And it, and it kind of underscores what we're talking about. Now you say in that curriculum, you say, Much of what flies under the banner of racial unity is more consistent, actually, with secular ideas of sociology and social justice than with an intentional decision to seek the wisdom of Scripture. And you mentioned a few of these ideas that actually fall more in line with ideas of uh, secular sociology and social justice, ideas like uh, equitable outcomes reparations, lamenting and legislating. Can you explain some of those ideas and how do they just, how do they miss the mark of what the Bible is calling us to? Well, I believe that they, one, I'll start with how do they miss the mark? They miss the mark because it's, it starts with work. It doesn't start with a transformation of heart. See, if we want to truly quote unquote, eradicate racism, that starts, racism is a sin of the heart. It's a sin of, and well, one, we don't even see it as a defined like sin in, in the scriptures. There's no verse that says, do not be racist. Thou shalt not be racist. What we can piece together is like ethnic partiality, slander based on um, ethnicity or race, hatred based on ethnicity or race. But there's no, no verse that doesn't, that says, you know, do not be racist. You shouldn't do that. Now, when we want to look at ethnic partiality or hatred or slander and things like that, things that are clear in the scripture, we have to first look at our own human heart. Mm. I can't just do a bunch of works and then think that I'm going to now, you know, not be a racist just because I'm doing the work that some person told me I should do. The transformation begins in a relationship with Jesus As I'm in a relationship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit transforms my heart. The scriptures transform my heart. I become like I I become renewed in my mind. Like there are there are different um, like scriptures that talk about how we should be renewed in our minds, how we should be transformed in our hearts. And this is where this work begins. It doesn't begin with a secular framework. I don't look at a sociology book to tell me how to live righteously. The word says that God gives us all that we need for life and godliness, mm. not Robin D'Angelo, not Kimberly Crenshaw or Derek Bell or anyone else. Only the scriptures give us what we need for life and godliness. So if I want to know how do I live as a righteous person, I don't go to a secular source to tell me how to live righteously. 
the works that you mentioned of like lament. And so you're going to lament for your whiteness, lament for, you know, your ancestors. If you're white, your ancestors' um, participation in slavery and things like that, you're going to pay reparations for your ancestors' sins. I don't see this as a biblical model, you know, especially when we get into the New Testament and that as I look at you, you bearing white skin, if you were a raging racist and you now come into the household of faith, according to 2 Corinthians, I don't regard you according to the old man anymore. Mm. And so if I'm not regarding you, you yourself, according to the old man anymore, why would I regard you according to your ancestors? So I think that these things go against scripture, especially us under the new covenant. Now that doesn't mean that we don't look back into, you know, the law to figure out how to do justice and some of these things, but even then those answers must be consistent with how we are told to live according to the new Testament. Yeah, that's, that's really great, Monique. You know, it's something that you, you hit time and time again in this curriculum and I'm going to keep uh, referencing X. I'm hoping that everyone that's listening goes and checks it out. But this this reality that we're actually all unjust until we repent and turn to Christ, and then we're brought into we're brought into the family. Mm-hmm. And you know, in the curriculum, you mentioned there was this convicting moment where you said, "Am I am I a black person who's Christian, or am I a Christian who's black?" And you and you talk about how uh, the worldview of critical race theory is putting forth fraudulent identities versus holding on to our true identity, which is not in Adam anymore, but in Christ. Can, can you further explain that to our listeners? Yes. So one day I went to sit down and do a podcast with my ministry partner, Krista, and I was still really struggling between like what I believe with critical race theory or historic Christianity. And she goes, you know, like, and it's literally seconds before we're about to go live. And she, she says, you know, are you a black woman first or are you a Christian first? And I was just like, what kind of a question is this right now? <laughs> but, you know, it really struck me because for me growing up, everything was about being black first. Everything stemmed from that. I am a black Christian. I'm a black woman. I'm a black this, like I am black first. And part of the narrative of critical race theory is that we are in our tribal groups. Mm. And so in saying in your tribal group, I am black first. Now, when we look at scripture, one scripture isn't in, in my reading and research is not really concerned with the color of your skin. It is concerned with region and cultures and things like that. Like, where are you from? But it doesn't give a lot of, you know, thought or, or words to say, well, you know, this brown person or this black person or this, you know, whatever person doesn't do that. Um, And so when, but when we do look in scripture, what we see in the new Testament is that we are either in Christ or we are in Adam. We are either part of the family of God or we are not. And when we are in the family of God, we are reconciled one to another. Look at, look at second Corinthians five, look at, look at the reconciliation that we have. I know many people put forward this idea that there, there's the racial reconciliation. Well, that's not actually the reconciliation that's being talked about in 2 Corinthians mm-hmm. 5. The, the reconciliation talked about in 2 Corinthians 5 is the reconciliation of our sinful hearts to a holy God mm-hmm. and what that means for us. 
Now, when we look back at Ephesians, we can see that as we are reconciled, we are brought into the family of God. And that's irrespective of skin color. We are not brought into the family of God after white people choose to lament. We don't get unity after white people repent of their racial, you know, inequities or things like that. In John 17, Jesus prayed for our unity. He said, Mm. he's given us what we need for unity. And I believe that if you go back in John, you can see that, that what he's talking about with the glory and all of that is the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. We have what we need for unity, and it's not the, the the secular structures that are being put forward, even in the church. You know, I, I think about the way that we're trying to explain it to our church, because the verse that comes to mind is Galatians 3, 8, that in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor, nor female, all in one in Christ. And I think about our Christian identity, that's that's what's driving the, the, the car and our Anything else takes a back seat, but it's not like taking a back seat in the economy car. It's taking a back seat like on a on the school bus. It's still there. It's still part of us. But it, yes. it's, it's not that those those things aren't important. But it's that our identity in Christ is so far forward that yes. it puts everything else on the back seat of a school bus, and that our Christian identity that's what's driving everything for us. Yes, and and that's how we participate with one another. Look, when I when I um decided to follow Christ. It didn't change me as far as my physical structure goes. I was still a woman. I was still black, still wore black skin. It didn't change me, but it did at the same time. It changed the, the, the inner part of me. It, it offered a different piece of identity now as a child of God. When we participate with each other, how do we participate from our our identity as children of God, brothers and sisters in the same household, regardless of the skin color that we bear? Yeah, I love that, Monique. And, and you you reference Second Second Corinthians five, and and I love what, what Paul writes there because he says, "I see no one according to the flesh," and he calls himself now an ambassador for the kingdom of, of God, and he. He, he leans into these spiritual realities. Is this person saved or not? And if they're not, I want to a- appeal to them. Yes. Repent, be reconciled to God. Whereas CRT is, is appealing to lean into our physical characteristics and our physical identity. Yes. And so I, I love just the fact that you pulled out those, those scriptures, 2 Corinthians 5 and Ephesians 2. You know, something that, that comes across so profoundly in your curriculum is the reality that the church is not like a family. And I, I love how much you hit on this. The, the church is a family. If God is our father, we have the Holy Spirit. We're brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. How How is culture's narrative, and most prominently CRT, how is that narrative dividing us up? And what are some gospel truths that we need to constantly as a church be reminding ourselves? Well, culture is going cold. Culture is going to do what they do. But in the church, we are family. It's ontological, supernatural. It is declared in scripture. You are my brother. And if that is true, we should not, um, we should not just let people, gosh, what's the best way to say it? I would say, I think in, in culture and through the lens of critical race theory, there's a, a certain expectation. So there's an expectation that I, as a black woman, um, through like the tenant of narrative or through microaggression, like the, the, the framework of microaggressions, I can say things about white people 
I can believe things about white people. I can talk to white people a certain way and white people shouldn't respond because of the fact that I'm black and you're white. So I can live my truth and I can explain my truth. I can declare my truth um, with racism and white people should just take it. Like it's, it's like large time, time has come for white people to understand their participation in racism and have no say. And to me, what that is, what that's creating is just more racism Mm. in how we treat, you know, in the church, how we treat white people. Now, in scripture, we see in Ephesians 4, how we are supposed to bear with one another, how we're supposed to be patient with one another, how we go again, how we forgive, how we offer grace. I don't let people just come for the family. Mm. And so I think what, what some people in church right now are experiencing is like um, a rocking of like what is true and what is real and how do we participate with one another? Because culture's telling me I can be able to, you know, do this and say this about white people and things like that. And yet in church, in according to the scripture, we have a very unique way with how we deal with one another. I will also say on the other hand of that is that when we see racism toward black people, mm. white people should also be like, hey, that's my that's that's my sister. That's my brother. We speak up on, on behalf of one another. We don't let people just treat the family any kind of way. And so I'm not a racism denier, nor do I feel like I need to you know, come to the rescue of white people. What I'm saying is that as family, regardless of your skin color, there's a, a way in which we should treat people according to things like Ephesians 4 so that we continue to move forward in our unity. I think culture or CRT would say, we can't participate that way until certain works are done. We can't be unified until certain works are done. And so until those works are done, it is expected that I treat certain groups certain ways. That was a long answer. I'm not sure if it, if it was all, if it all made sense. It made sense in my mind, but you can ask more questions. Oh, no, Monique, it made sense to me. And, you know, I, I really think in this cultural moment, what an opportunity for the abounding love to exist in our churches, where when culture is trying to divide us up, when you when when someone on the outside can look at the church on the inside and see people from all different classes and ethnicities and see that there is love, love, love abounding love. It yes. doesn't make any sort of sense. How compelling could that be? towards our culture. And so I, you know, I'm encouraged by this conversation because that's what you're, that's what you're calling us to. And what, what a powerful apologetic that Mm -hmm. uh, doctrinally based and yet belief drives behavior. And so if we could, if we could get the truths in our hearts and in our minds, and it drives us to really love one another, I think it could be winsome to our culture. I, uh, now Monique, thank you so much for for joining us on this conversation. I, I, I believe there is and I don't know if you're calling it up or UP, but there's an up conference coming up. Yes. Can you tell our listeners what this is, how to sign up and why they should. So up or uniting people is our annual conference is our second one. And our conference is focused specifically on justice. We want to equip Christians to do biblical justice. There is a, a call or a push in culture right now to do justice, but it's a secular form of justice. And when you dig into it, 
in many ways, it is promoting that Christians participate in sin. So how do we do justice? If we read Micah 6, 8, it says do justice, or, you know, like actively do justice. Well, it doesn't tell me what justice is or how to do it though. And so what we want to do is equip Christians to understand, hey, look, this is the biblical definition of justice. These are areas that Christians can speak into. It's way broader than just, you know, what I think the evangelical call for justice is, which is abortion. You know, we can speak into many areas, including abortion, in order to do justice. There are some practical um, areas here in the States and abroad that really could use a Christian voice and Christian influence. And, um, you know, things like, gosh, praying on the poor, like predatory lending. How do I speak into that? Because according to the the Old Testament, you know, we shouldn't charge interest to the poor. How do we speak into predatory lending to do justice so that we can work with poor communities um, on like entrepreneurial skills Mm -hmm. and things like that. Like we need to, to, in my personal opinion, um, reconsider the way that we are doing justice or having the justice conversation so that we can lead the conversation. We don't need, again, to be on the back burner of the conversation, nor do I need to look into culture or sociology to tell me how to do justice. (laughs) God is just. And so if my God is just, trust me, I can believe that he's going to tell me how I should live righteously, how I can do justice. So this is what our conference is about. You can sign up for our conference at centerforbiblicalunity.com backslash up 2021. Yeah, Monique, we will be promoting this um, uh, at our church in the weeks to come. Uh, I know it's coming fast, but I'm very excited that this is happening because I forget where I read this, but. The church and culture, they're both using the word justice, but they're using different dictionaries. And so it seems as if this conference is going to really help provide some clarity as to what true biblical justice is. So if you're listening to the podcast, I would encourage you to sign up for this conference. Monique, thank you so much for being part of this conversation. Thank you for having me. It was good to be here. I appreciate the conversation. And, you know, make sure if if you're listening or watching, check out um, Reconcile. You can get it online at Center for Biblical Unity backslash Reconcile. Yes, I will second that. I have been through the Reconcile curriculum and it is fantastic. So get that as soon as you can. Well, I hope you found this discussion with Monique fruitful and helpful. Glad you could join us at the King's Table. If you'd like more information or resources from King's Hill Church, you can visit us online at www.kingshillboston.com. You can also find more resources around biblical justice and unity at centerforbiblicalunity.com.